Hello and welcome to another The Analysis interview coming from TotalFootballAnalysis.com with myself, David Seymour. And every week, as you know, I am joined by someone working at the top level of the game in some way or another. We have coaches, analysts, directors of football, even commentators. And we aim to have a discussion about the inner workings of the game with a focus on analysis. This week, I am joined by Harry Brooks. Harry is a coach with Roundworld Royals, and you might have come across him on Twitter as well, at HB Head Coach. But I'm going to let Harry introduce himself. So, firstly, hello, Harry. Uh, thanks for joining us. Hello. And secondly, in the same breath, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, of course. No, thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. Um, yeah, so I'm a director and coach in Roundworld Royals. That is a. Um, an organisation that um, trains and works with professionals um, and academy players across the UK. Generally, um, we focus more on players from the UK, Holland and Germany. But we do work with players um, outreaching those countries as well. Um, so that's part of what I do. I'm also a coach at an independent academy, um, Round World Academy, um, which is, um, again, like I said, an independent academy that looks to bridge the gap between grassroots football and professional football. So we generally, you know, we, we have age groups from as young as five up until 17 at the academy. And we tend to push around six to eight players a year into professional clubs to get signed. Um, we push more players into clubs. Obviously, um, not everyone gets in. Um, but we also regularly play fixtures against those professional academies. So in the last few years, we, we've played the likes of the ball in, in one-off games and um, tournament invites home and abroad. So... You know, those, those are probably the two main things I do. I'm involved in football, um, probably a million other things as well. But generally speaking, those are the two main things, yeah. And, and so with, with Round World Royals, it's not just youth players, right? You get sort of, um, you'll get first team professionals c- coming in as well for some, I guess, a consultancy, some training, some outside training. Yeah, pretty much. It's, it's players, we work with players, um, training them, like, like you've just said. We'll also do analysis for them. So we'll, certain players, um, you know, obviously, they, they, the calendar doesn't always work to have extra sessions. So we'll go and watch their games, uh, provide feedback and analysis. But we'll also do other things. So we'll provide mentorship. Um, we'll help arrange moves and transfers if it, if it's correct um, and help players uh, transfer to clubs. So it's basically, um, we try to give um, an all-round package to to our players in terms of what, what they need. But we, um, we don't just accept any player. Um, it's, it's quite an exclusive group of players. Um, that do have to be chosen by myself and Richards um, based on a number of things. Um, you know, obviously ability being one of them, but attitude, application, um, because we, we're, of the, we, we're of the belief that, you know, you get a lot of people out there nowadays that will just uh, work with anyone and, and work with a ton of players. But we think that, you know, if we're in the journey with a player, then they deserve our utmost attention. And if it's just myself and Richard and we have 50-odd players to look after, there's no way we can give each player the individual attention and time they need. So we do work with an exclusive group of players um, and we make sure that we give each player, you know, everything they could possibly need in terms of, um, again, uh, development, um, mentorship, transfers, potentially, like I've said. So with, 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 I mean, obviously outside training, you'll have your analysis. And then I guess on top of that, you've got your nutrition, your strength and conditioning. Yeah. How important do you think that that whole package is? And do you feel professional players and youth players take that side as seriously as they should? Um, it's vital. Professional football clubs, um, you know, they, they have certain schedules. Um, so players and, well, the professional football clubs rather, they don't always have the time to give each individual um, their specific needs. 
So the individual has to take it upon themselves to do more and to do extra. Um, so it's massively important. And it is something that's being uh, widely recognised or more widely recognised in recent years. Um, players are looking to do outside work a lot more. You'll be surprised or people would be surprised um, how many professionals do actually do work outside of the clubs because the clubs, again, they don't always have the time to give each individual what they need. So, you know, if you look at the weekly schedule, let's pick a club, for example, Man United, you know, that that play in Europe during the week, during the season, they'll often have three games in a week. Now, a lot of their training sessions will be centred around match preparation, recovery, um, tactical training, teamwork, you know. Where's the time for the club to give an individual the the specific requirements they need on a technical level or or what have you? So, um, no, it's very important that um, players look to do more and go on the outside to do more work. Um, a lot of players do it. And it is being more widely regarded now nowadays. Certainly, in the last few years. Do you, so? I did an off-air discussion with a coach who, who works at international level, and he said he believes that clubs could do could do more with players. And he, he used the NFL as an example. And so he said these players are in for a, a full work day. Sometimes they do two sessions, sometimes three, even three sessions a day. Now, of course, they only have weekly games, but. He's not necessarily necessarily saying that he's be doing all those kind of sessions, but he does say that they're in for a fuller day. That the club has, um, I guess, I guess more of a control over what they do. And I know that I guess things like that are starting to happen. I read that Graham Potter's been using sleep pods at, at Brighton. But do you think do you think that's possible where you could have players in for longer periods of time, or do you just think that it's not possible because of the more intense schedules? No, I think it's possible. Um, people ask me all the time, um, especially young well, young players ask me all the time, um, you know, how much training should I be doing a week or is there such thing as too much training? And and to be honest, to be honest, the answer is no, there's, there's no such thing as too much training as long as it's the correct training. Um, so, you know, there, there's, there are players out there that will be doing, say, three days of work but um, they'll be working harder or doing more sensible training than players that do five days of work. Um, it all depends on the type of training you do, um, h- how you recover. Um, at certain times, clubs do, obviously, they keep players in for longer periods of time. Obviously, clubs have to bear in mind the, the mental issue as well and uh, the you know players do have lives outside of the club. Um, so, yeah, perhaps clubs could maybe do more in certain situations. But again, I do have sympathy for them there. Their schedule is so uh, ram-packed with um, fixtures and preparation. So it is hard. And even then, you know, how far do you go? Because let's say you target um, individual training or individual one-to-one training on a technical basis. Well, you know, you could have a 25-man squad. You know, you don't have, you're going to get 25 coaches per day for every single player to work specifically on their needs. It's, it's very difficult to, to do. So I do have sympathy for them, but... Uh, players need to take ownership of their own career as well. They, you know, they can't just rely on the club. It's also down to the player to to want to do more, to push themselves on to do more. And most do, to be honest. Um, so, you know, the clubs, they can do what they can do. Um, could they do more? Perhaps in certain situations, it's very difficult. Um, but again, the, the players have to take ownership of their own career. And again, like I said, most of them, or a lot of them certainly do. Um, you know, we're very lucky to work with a lot of professionals and um, of different levels and academy players, of different levels and most of them obviously well the ones we work with obviously are taking ownership of their career and appreciating that they have to do more and they always can do more I feel I feel like what you're doing at, at round uh round Royals is, is is pretty sorry round world Royals is, is pretty unique um but I'm sure there'll be coaches listening who work or who have worked with players in a format that is outside of their playing club you know perhaps at development centers for example 
How do you periodize the work you do with these players to ensure that they're not burning out, but still progressing when you're working away from their club and perhaps their schedule is different, even on a weekly basis? Yeah, it, it, a lot of it comes from experience and knowing what type of training um, the player requires. We'll obviously talk to our players and we'll we'll get a, a vantage point of what they do at their club, um, how they train. Um, but it's mostly through experience and just sort of knowing what kind of what each individual requires. Um, we do just kind of know if that makes sense. It's weird to say, um, you know, we know what we know what is too much for a certain individual, and we know what's not enough. Um, we do think that we've had enough experience, myself and Richards, um, in the game to know what a player requires. Um, we see a lot of sessions nowadays where we think that the work is all wrong. Um, again, who's to say that we're right or they're wrong? But you know, we think we see a lot of players nowadays, and you know, they'll they'll, they'll do a session, but they'll absolutely kill themselves, um, or the coach will kill them, and thinking that it's a good session. Whereas, you know, it, it might not be that beneficial. Um, so it's more just through experience, to be honest. It's through knowing the players. It's through knowing their their structure, their schedule, and working hand in hand with the player to make sure that we come up with a good program where they get the most out of the training and making sure that they, of course they recover correctly and, and they get what's required. Um, so yeah, it's knowing the player, it's knowing what to do through experience and of course, like knowing the player schedule and, and working together to come up with a plan that works for them. Brilliant. That's, that's so interesting. Um, I'd like to get your, your view on, on young players and first of all, what, what you think is important when it comes to mental, mental attributes. Um, do you notice things of elite players certain mental attributes that they have that you think you need to get to the top? And then how do you go about nurturing those? Yeah, um, when I was younger, obviously, you know, I wanted to be a professional footballer. Didn't quite happen. Um, but I was always interested when you'd hear play interested when you would hear players on TV give advice, um, professionals that had made it. And the advice would always be the same. It would be, you know, always believe, never give up and work really, really hard. And as a youngster, I always used to think, well, well, obviously, is there not more to it? Is there not like some magic thing that you can tell me that, I can do to, to make give myself the best chance. And then working with the players over the last however many years, five or so years, working with professionals at academy players, you do realise actually no, that is it, is the mentality. It's how they approach their 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 career, their training, their life, their professionalism. Um and yeah, working with professionals, you can one hundred percent um they just have a different mindset to perhaps a younger player that is looking to break into the system. Um or looking to get into a club that, you know, the younger player might say, well, I want to achieve this, I want to do this. But then you look at how they approach their their life and their game and their training. And then you look at someone else who has made it and continues to push on in the professional career. And you look at how they approach their life and how they approach their training. And you just see that with the professionals that have made it, um, it's like a hardness. It's a, it's a, it's a killer instinct, I like to call it. It's like a, I'm going to make sure I succeed. And no one's going to stop me. I'm going to do everything in my control to get out of this career what I can. Um, if I have to do more, I'll do more. And I'm going to push myself. And there's a certain aura of you know, self-belief, drive, confidence, um, but also humbleness to know that they have to keep pushing, have to keep working. And, and these professionals, they want to work. They want to be pushed. They want... They are very demanding. Um, you know, they, they want to have the best sessions. They want to have the best coaches. They want to have the best drills. They want to be pushed to the limit. Whereas sometimes you work with younger players and if you would do, let's say, if you, if you've done a session that was a bit half-assed, the under, younger player that quite doesn't have that mindset, 
might sometimes let you get away with it or might just accept it. Whereas the players that with the mindset to go and push on and to achieve something, they are so demanding of themselves and demanding of people around them because they are so driven to succeed what they want that they're not going to let someone else um, potentially jeopardise that. They're going to get, they're going to do what they're in control of. They're always going to make sure their mentality and um, their way of doing things is at the utmost. Um, and they're going to make sure that they work with people and people are around them that are going to help push them on as well. So you can 100% tell a difference. Um, you can also get that mindset with younger players. Of course you can. And usually when you have that mindset with younger players, they're the ones that go on to push on and have a career. Of course, there's no guarantee, but you know, you can't achieve something without that mindset. You need to have that killer instinct. So I really do believe that. Do you think there's a, there's a way to coach it? Do you think you can to help bring that out of a player or do you think it's so intrinsic? Oh, it's, it's incredibly difficult to, to get someone to change how they approach things. You can encourage players and you can light a fire and all of a sudden the light bulb in the head could click, but that, only, that can only come from them. I can't make you do it. It has to come from you. You have to do it. You have to appreciate it. I can encourage you. I can um, give you the, I can give you, you know, uh, a pat on the shoulder. I can give you the hard treatment, but I can do whatever I think it requires for you to get that mindset. So, of course, I can help you there, but it does have to come from you. Eventually, at some stage, whether you have it or not, that light bulb has to switch on where it's like, okay, I know what I need to do and I'm going to be driven and I'm going to go for it no matter what. Um, Some players never get there, no matter what, no matter who their coach is, no matter their environment. No matter what the situation is, some players never quite have that um, mentality. Um, some players have it from a very early age, and some players, like I've said, it's that light bulb moment where it just all of a sudden switches on. Um, so, of course, you can, as a coach, encourage it. You can do things to to help them get there, um, but it has to come down to the player. The player has to take charge of his own career and his own mindset. Um, and again, I can't make you have that mindset. I can encourage it, but I can't make you have it. So, it has to come from the player. Do you think that the the psychological corner then is more important long term than technical, physical, or, or social? Well, what I say to players is that you can have a Champions League winning career by doing the basics. Um, you can't have any form of career by having special talents without being able to do the basics. So, you know, you can be a Champions League winning player uh, playing World Cups by having that driven mindset to always demand the utmost from yourself um never lower your standards and by making sure the standards of everyone else around you is met and by being quite a simple player you know um disciplined um and again it's 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 not simple in the sense it's a simple thing to do but i'm talking about you know maybe can't do the the absolute magical skill or the the flair or the put the ball into the top corner that certain players can do but what i mean is that you can become a a have a fantastic career by doing the basics and by having that mentality. Um, you cannot have a professional career by being able to do everything with the ball, but not understanding the basics, not understanding the the intelligence of the game, not understanding the intensity and the hard work it requires to get there, um, not being able to cope with the downsides. Um, if you can't do those things, then you won't have a career of any level, a professional career anyway. Um but if you do have those things, you can have a fantastic career. So, yeah, I mean, it's not to say the one thing's more important than the other. Um, but like I said, you can have a career by having that mindset. Um, 
and you, but by the same token, um, you can have all the technical ability in the world. But if you don't have those, that mindset, and you don't have those basics, then you won't have a career. Um, and that's just the way it is. That's fascinating. Harry, I'd like to sort of uh, segue into your coaching alongside analysis. And I think to, be- to begin um, to begin with this, uh, it'd be good to know what your first sort of introduction to analysis was. Yeah, so it kind of, I kind of just fell into it, to be honest. Um, I was... Uh, so I've worked with Richard for about a good five years now. Um, I've coached I coached professionals and academy players before I met Richard. Um, so that'll be on a one-to-one basis um, and maybe in small groups. But then as I got to know Richard and as we worked together, um, we, we delved into doing this project together, the Royals. Um, it's like we only gave the name, you know, in the last year or two, but we were doing it beforehand. Um, but when we would say do a one-to-one, it didn't really make sense for perhaps – so there to be two head coaches, you know, they, 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 for just one player, it wasn't necessary. Um, Richard's been a coach longer than myself, um, you know, so he has more experience. So it made sense for him to be the head trainer, if that makes sense, the head coach that would like perhaps do the drills and and stuff and lead the session. I would, of course, still do, you know, lead certain drills and, and lead certain sessions, but it made more sense that he was recognised as the head coach. And then it made more sense for me to be like an analyst. So, when the player was doing the certain drills or when the player does the drills or is, is performing in the training sessions, I'll be making notes. I'll be saying, you know, looking at the final details of, of their game and what they need to work on and what they're doing well. So I kind of just sort of, I've always had like, I'd like to think I've always had that eye for the game and that eye for really minute detail. Um, and it just kind of fell into it, to be honest. It was just through doing it. And eventually, you know, I would start off by analysing, you know, small um, grassroots players, perhaps just taking it upon myself to do that. Um, doing that for Round World Academy every now and again, and then, you know, getting more experience and moving on to pros and academy players, etc. So it kind of just fell into it. I didn't get a certain degree for or certain license or coaching badge or analysis badge, whatever you want to call it. Um, I kind of just fell into it um, because of my, I'd like to think, you know, my eye for the game and my eye for the for the smaller details. Um, and it's all, my, my analysis has always been, you know, through the eye test. I've never used, and I'm not knocking it at all, but, I've never, I've never known how to use data, if that makes sense. I don't know the platforms where it exists. Um, you know, I, I've never been inclined to do that. It is a huge part of the game, and we, we, you know, we will use um, data for the Royals um, through other aspects and other people. But my, the way I analyze it is through the eye test and through observing and watching and the feel of the player. Um, so yeah, I kind of fell into it, and I just build up my experience from then on. And that's where I am today. You know, that, that's, that's kind of the journey from it. So w- with your analysis, it'd be good to know your process. So obviously you're using video and I just wonder how, how you structure it. I mean, let's just say, for example, you've got an individual player that you're doing work with who's in the pro game. How would you go about structuring your analysis? And I, and I guess, how would you filter that into the, the sessions and your feedback to the player? So obviously it depends on how I view them. So let's say, for example, I get a video of a player I would look at the video and I would look at very minute details, big details as well, but also paying attention to the minute details. For example, um, you know, how do they carry the ball? Are they able to carry it centrally or do they have to push the ball at a certain angle? Um, you know, can they make their touches fluid? Um, are they checking one shoulder more than the other? Um, things like that, very minute details. Um, does one player have, for example, a longer stride where they're able to recover tackles or as another player got shorter legs where they can't cover the same amount of grounds, things like that. So looking at very minute details as well as big details, 
and I'd literally just make notes, make notes on those details. Anything I see, I make notes. And then after the after I've got the, the the all of the notes there, it could be a ton, it could be fewer, depending on how much footage I see, um, or how you know how long the session is, for example. Um, I just um, put it up onto my computer. I'd put it in an analysis form. I'd um, I send over the things I think are irrelevant. Um, and then I, what I would usually do when I'm sending my reports to players is I'd have a list of the things they're good at because a player generally knows what they're good at. They, they, they don't usually need to be told. So I'd put that in a list form. But then also you can make notes on, let's say you, let's say I watch an hour of a game of, of a player. Um, quite often I'll find 20 or 30 sometimes things that they need to do better, but there's no way you can send that many things to a player. They, they can't have that. They won't be able to take it all in. So I tend to pick three big aspects that are relevant to them. Um, and I talk about them, little them details in, in more detail, for example, three, three aspects of their game that's relevant to their position, their age, et cetera, that they need to work on. Um, and then I'll make notes on that and I'll speak about those, those weaknesses in more detail, whereas I might have just put the positives in note form. So you are good at this, you're good at this, you're good at this. And then the three things you need to work on, I'll talk about them in a lot more detail. And then that might be a broader overview. That might be the first time I watch a player or that might be from game footage. And then let's say we do, let's say that's from a player in a session and we continue to work with that player. Obviously, they don't need broader um, player development um, analysis. They, they, they then, it might be a player development analysis working on a specific thing. So you could have different. So at the end of a, say, a 10 session segment, the player will have received a broad analysis program they will have also received, let's say you're a right back, they'll also re- have received a, a crossing um, analysis. They will have received a driving analysis. And then maybe they would go into even more detail, minute detail. So it could be a crossing from deep analysis or a hit the byline crossing from analysis. Um, so I hit the byline crossing analysis. Um, so depending on how often the, we work with the player, um, that's kind of the, 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 the pathway or the program that we do. And, and do you think it's important for a coach to, to be an analyst as well. I mean, do, have you found that you've improved as a coach since you've been doing this with uh, Round World Royals? Or, or do you think that you're already doing this subconsciously? I mean, do you think that coaches are just constantly analysing? I think I think the best I think best coaches are, are constantly analysing anyway, my kind of analysis. Um, I've just focused on putting it more into detail in terms of like giving the player the, the programmes. But, you know, Richard, who I'm working with, um, he still sees the things they need to work on and he has to because if you're a coach and you don't spot those minute details, how can you then inform the player what to work on? You know, you have to be able to spot those details. Um, so, you know, Richard will, Richard, we, we could easily do role reversal. I could be the head coach and Richard could be the analysis. And it's not to say that, you know, a person will see more than the other. You know, there will be certain things that even me as the anal- analyst, I might miss a certain point that Richard picks up on as a coach or vice versa. I might think that Richard could do something different in as a coach in a session. Um, so I do believe that, uh, you know, a coach should also be an analyst in the sense that they are analyzing the details of the game. They're analyzing the details. Let's say you're a team, you're working on a team or a group. They analyze the details of the group. They analyze the details of the individuals in that group. Um, so, yeah, I believe that my type of analysis, you know, just falls hand in hand with coaching, to be honest. Um, you have to be able to spot those details. Um, and it doesn't have to always be the min- most minute details. It could be broader details. Um, I think there's a there's an issue nowadays of perhaps a lot of coaches or a lot of people overcomplicating football. Sometimes football can be a simple game. It really can be. Um, so it's important to understand what's important, what's relevant, and going from there. 
that's it's so interesting you, you touched on the sort of overcomplication that was something I wanted to, to get onto with you. Do you find that there are terms, for example, that coaches and analysts are using that are unnecessary? Or do, do you think there are things that we're doing as, as coaches or analysts that could just be simplified uh, to enhance sort of player understanding and, and therefore development and growth. Yeah, one hundred percent. So you know, I, I say it with, with tongue in cheek, but you know, I can't stand the use of the word half space, for example. That's just me. <laughs> um, you know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think there's a club in England, a professional club in England. I don't think there's any coach in England in that would use that term. Um, now, again, and I've been told that apparently coaches in Germany use it, and that's you know more tongue in cheek. And I'm not going to judge you for using that term, but. Speaking more in a broader sense, I do think that, yes, there's definitely a situation nowadays where people try to perhaps use unnecessary language or overcomplicate things when there's really no need to. Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, th- that is an issue. I don't know why it's turned out like that. I don't know if people try to prove they're smarter than what they are. Um, as a coach and an analyst, at the end of the day, it's got nothing to do with you. It's all to do with your player. You know, I don't, you know, let's say, for example, I deliver a session and this used to be a weakness of mine, to be fair. I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that. When I was first joined Round World Academy, um, I was a very young coach and I would perhaps sometimes I would stop sessions or during the sessions, I'd give my talk, but I would talk for too long, probably to show that I know what I'm talking about and to impress people. I'm like, but it's not about you. It's about the players. And are they able to understand and take in your information? And if you're using complex language and in terms of making it difficult for the for the player to understand, then what are you achieving? Because at the end of the day, you as a coach and your job as a coach and an analyst is to provide information to your player that they are able to take in and to then work on and improve. And if you make it too complicated or too wordy or too long for them to understand, then what's the purpose of it? So there's definitely a huge issue um, of people nowadays overcomplicating things. Um, there's a brilliant quote from Jose Mourinho. Um, I think it was something like, you know, um, overcomplicating things can be to to hide stupidity and simplicity can be to show genius or something along those lines. And and he's completely correct. Um, there is a big, big thing nowadays of people overcomplicating things. Um, but it is what it is, I, I, I guess. So just out of interest, what, what would you use instead of half space? Would you say what channel or? Inside channel. Yeah, because for example, half space, the issue with space, half space is that Space isn't defined by a by an area on a pitch. Let's say someone is in that half space. Well, it's no longer a space. <laughs> do you know? What, do you know what I mean? So you know. The in, so I would I would use inside left channel, for example, or inside right channel. It's that segment of the pitch where that's the area, no matter what. It's the inside channel. Um, half space. A space is defined by if it's a space on the pitch. It's it's not a space if that area is crowded. So. Yeah, so that's a bit, again, you know, who's to say I'm right? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm being ignorant. But um, I think more broadly, you do see a lot of things nowadays. And I've noticed that a lot with um, giving player positions, like lots of different names. I don't know, you know, if that's from other countries and they're just using it over here. Um, but, you know, I, I don't quite understand it. There's a lot of, I see a lot of names nowadays of positions. I'm like, what role is that? I mean, I think I saw one of them, like, the other day, like Secundo Valanti, and I'm like, what on earth is that? What kind of player is that? I have, no, I have no <laughs> idea what that is. Um, if they use it abroad, then that might be the actual name for what they use. I don't know, but in the UK, like, what is a Secundo Valanti, for example? So, I think, that, listen, as I said, I might be being old-fashioned, I might be being ignorant to it, but for me, I think that a lot of the time, simplicity is is best. A lot of the time, uh, yeah, I think I think you'll find that 
People who are talking about Segundo Valantes are big football manager fans. Um, okay, all right. Is that where it's from then? Is it a football think, manager thing? That, okay, the only, It's the only place I've ever seen it, but I, I, can, I can tell you what I, it's I, I don't know. I, I have no idea what it is. What, what is a Segundo? <laughs> I'd love to, if someone's listening, I'd love them to like, send me a, I'm not going to Google it because I don't want to, but if somebody sends me a message of what a Segundo Valantes is, then feel free because I haven't got a clue. <laughs> there you go. H, HB head coach on Twitter. Send him, send him a, yeah. a direct message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... How important then do you think, when we're talking about overcomplication, how important do you think visuals are as a coach and as an analyst in getting ideas across to players rather than words, rather than talking, rather than documents? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think video analysis is huge. Um, you know, a lot of the time I would, um, I didn't like doing it at the beginning because, um, for example, before I would have a partner with me, I might video a, a, a drill to show the player after. But um, I wouldn't really like doing that because then I feel like I'm not really focusing on the drill itself. But I would do that quite a bit to um, obviously show the player after. I'll look at this little technique. That's what you need to improve on. Because um, I think it's really important for players to look back on themselves and be able to see what they've done correctly and where they need to improve. Um, so I think video is a massive importance or ma- hugely important to self-analysis for an individual. Yeah, 100%. What, what what do you think is the the biggest barrier, or even if there is one, between analysis and coaching? Um, do you mean in terms of the analysis that I do, or data analysis? Yeah, yeah, the analysis that you do. I don't think there is a barrier, to be honest. I again, I suppose it's division of roles. So, for example, when I would do a one to one before, I'd put on a great session. Well, I'd hope to put on a great session, um, and I'd be able to give the player instruction. But again, there would be certain things that I would like to do. So. I would perhaps like to film a certain segment um, of that drill so I can show the player after. Um, but then I would feel that would take away my focus on the drill itself. Um, but I do believe that, you know, they, they again, like I said earlier, they do kind of go hand in hand. I do believe that the best coaches are analysts anyway. Of course they are. I think that you can be, I do believe that um, the best coach is also a really good analyst, but I don't think it could be the other way around necessarily. I don't necessarily believe that a fantastic analyst can be a coach or the best coach, if that makes sense. Um, I believe that you can have the deed. I'm not saying that a, a great analyst can't be a great coach. Of course they can. But what I more mean is that let's say you have a fantastic coach. I'd be, you know, they are also going to probably be a very good analyst in terms of the details. But you can have a fantastic analyst that points out those details and sees the details, but can't necessarily coach them. Um, so there's perhaps that divide, I would say. Um, but again, it, it depends on the individual. That's interesting. Okay, so on the flip side, then, as, as you just mentioned, what about with data analysis? Uh, um, to be honest, it's, it's a it's a subject I I, I know a lot about in in a broader sense, but I've never used data. Um, not because I don't believe in it, but because I don't know how to use it. I'm more than happy to admit that um, I don't know how to record it and how to put it into a system and stuff. But I do believe that, let's say, for example, I'm a professional football club or put it this way, me and myself, I will never, ever, ever judge a player purely on data. Data can, I think, is a very useful tool, but it should only be to confirm or to reject what the eye test shows you. Um, I would never, ever, ever sign a player or judge a player without having watched them first and getting a feel for the player and looking at their highlights and looking at their their negative viewpoints. Um, and again. Um, professional football clubs they don't do that they or 
they certainly, I don't think so. Certainly the ones I've worked with and spoken to, I've, I've never known a professional football club to have signed a player purely based on data. I'm sure there has been situations. I've always known them to say, for example, use data to um, siphon down a, a, a certain number of players because there's only so many players you can watch, obviously. Um, so use the data to to find roughly what you're looking for. And then, you know, the, the the data could perhaps be sent to someone else that goes to watch them and scout them and watch their games. Um, but yeah, my personal belief is that data is a, a fantastic addition to the game, but it should never, ever, ever be used to or only used to assess a player, in my opinion. But most people, most professional football clubs in terms that I worked with, they don't do that. I do believe that you're seeing a, a larger trend of people perhaps that don't work for clubs on the outside that are judging players based on data um, and coming up with their viewpoints based on data or, you know, allowing data to swing their opinion. Um, I think you'll see more of that. I don't think it should be that. Um, but, you know, when assessing a player, I believe, because because there's there are certain things that data cannot show. A data can't show you certain things, whether you like it or not. Um, and that's just the way it is. So, yeah, I would never judge a player based on data, but using data is a vital part of the game and it's certainly something that every football club finances provided should be using to to um you know um in in their recruitment policy so on on top of what you do with uh round well uh royals do you do analysis or or would you use analysis to maybe structure sessions or your curriculum for your independent academy so working with the younger players that's interesting um I'm not too sure, to be honest. I guess intrinsically I do. I guess that, you know, there's, I mean, yeah, I suppose like every coach, I, I through coaching them, it's like what I said earlier, You, um, a top coach would probably also be a top analyst. So, you know, even if I don't necessarily always make the notes on what players are doing in that sense, um, I get, you know, through being a coach and through being an analyst, I know what they need to work on. So I would structure sessions sorry to to hit those certain targets um of the group and the individual so yeah that's an interesting question and i guess i do without maybe realizing it yeah so with i mean obviously you get the these players coming in to to see you and they'll be doing their sessions you'll be doing their analysis and that with them what what age do you think there is a benefit for for that process for a player do you think it is purely for someone who's you know let's say let's just say 20 years old who's trying to make their way in a, as a, in a pro club. Maybe they've been released from the game and they're trying to get back into it. Or do you think that academy players that are on the brink of of getting into men's football or women's football um, could be going through that kind of process as well? Those academy players need analysis more than anyone um, or just as much as anyone because they have, they're so close. They're, relatively speaking, they're kind of close. They're not close, but, you know, that gap, that, that step up to first team football is a huge step. But they're in the system and they're looking to break through. Let's say you're a 17-year-old or a 16-year-old at Arsenal or Man United or or Wimbledon or anything in between. Um, in their head, they're like, right, well, you know, I want to be getting that pro contract and I want to be in the first team or playing first team minutes, you know, before I'm 20 anyway. Um, so in their head, they're close. Um, and, you know, so, but they're not there yet. So they, they, re- they really need to know what to work on and uh, where to improve in, you know, um, perhaps more, well, not more so, but, you know, they really need to um, work on that stuff. But in terms of when analysis might come into play, I mean, it's hard to say. Generally speaking, I guess that, say from the ages of, I don't know, six until 10, 11, most sessions or a lot of sessions will be quite similar. Um, 
because there are certain aspects that I believe a six and a 11 year old in and living between, you know, they need to work on constantly to, to improve no matter who you are, what position you are. But then as you get a little bit older, 12 and 11 to, you know, 12, 13, et cetera, then, then sessions really do need to be specified to what you require a little bit more because you're getting older. That still needs to happen when you're younger. So even a six-year-old will have certain strengths that um, compared to another six-year-old that will have other strengths. Um, but generally speaking, the ages from six to, to 11 or 10 or so will generally, I will generally work on very similar things in one-to-ones. Um, whereas when they get to the age of, say, 12, 13 and older, um, sessions will be perhaps more tailor-made to exactly what that individual requires. Um, that's broadly speaking. Again, there's no rule to it. As I said, there'll be certain things that I might work on with a one sit with a certain six-year-old that I might not work on with another six-year-old. But generally speaking, the, the sessions are very similar at those really early ages, and they re- but they have to get more specified. And that's one thing that really annoys me um, about what I see from most coaches outside of professional football clubs. And I'm not afraid to say it, but I look at most coaches outside of professional football clubs, one-to-one coaches. And it's the same session, no matter who you are, whether it's a 12-year-old that prefers playing up front compared to an 18-year-old right back at Man United, for example. The session is the same. And I'm like, what is the purpose of this? You know, that a, those age groups and those players, they need tailor-made sessions. A An 18-year-old right back for Man United will need a different session to a 12-year-old forward. Of course they will. So why are you giving them the same session like every footballer requires this or every footballer needs to be working on this? Um, so yeah, tailor-made sessions do come into it, of course. But, you know, generally it's those kind of ages. That's really interesting. Do you think there there could be a increase in position-specific training even at the top level? It's definitely going that way, yeah, 100%. Clubs already employ or bring in freelance one-to-one coaches or freelance coaches to work on specific things. And it's definitely going to go that way. You could have a, a, a specific coach for driving the ball out the back. You could have a specific crossing coach, a specific first-time finishing coach. You know, England employ um, his, his, his tag, is superior striker. Um, so he's just a striker coach for England. So it's definitely going down that way 100%. And it needs to. It needs to. That's brilliant. Well, we've absolutely flown through these questions, Harry. I think that the last question that I, I have for you, and this is one that I ask all my guests, is I guess what, what advice do you have for people who are um, perhaps who perhaps want to be where, where you are right now or, or where you're going? What advice do you have for those people? What, what do you wish you'd known maybe five, 10 years ago? Um, I, I would, I put, people ask me, would I do anything differently? I personally wouldn't do a single thing differently because you learn from your mistakes and whatever I've done along my journey, that's what's taken me to this point here, which I'm very, very proud of. And I'm like to think I'm going to push on. Um, or I know I'm going to push on because my mindset won't let me do anything differently. But um, in terms of advice, it would be the best advice I could give is don't reach too soon. Um, I get asked a lot by, say, younger people, maybe, I mean, I'm only young myself, I'm only 25, but I get asked a lot by, say, 15-year-old, 16-year-old, 17-year-old saying, oh, how can I do what you do? How can I train professionals? And the important thing is to get experience, learn from others for a long time and be willing to, be willing to, I, I would say, be willing to work for free um, for a while um, if you find a good setup to learn from. But yeah, get the experience. So if you say, for example, you know, if I was 15 years old, I'm like, right, I want to go and I'm going to train an academy player straight away. It would have been a disaster because I wasn't ready. 
I first started coaching at 15, so 10 years ago, but I started off small. I was starting off as an assistant for another coach at a um, after school club for a primary school, you know, a really small form. And then I wasn't even ready at that point to run my own Sunday league team because I hadn't had the experience of a coach. And then I got the experience. I learned how to structure sessions, um, certain um, drills. I learned how to be a leader. I learned how to organize groups of kids. That was one thing that I was glad I did. I didn't start off coaching 15-year-olds straight away as a 15-year-old. I started off coaching younger kids and built up to those ages. Um, and again, I, I first knew of Round World when I was 20 years old. And I remember I had a Wednesday session that I would do and I would I would make money from it. And I actually, obviously, I gave him enough notice, but I, I canceled that Wednesday session just to go and observe Round World for free for a month because I thought, right, this is a fantastic setup and I need to learn and get experience. So I'd done that for a month of purely for free. I then spoke to Richards, of course, the director of Round World Academy. Um, and then I started to do, you know, a few sessions for him as an assistant. And then I would lead my own groups. And before, you know, eventually uh, a few years down the line, I was ready and I was experienced and I knew how to do it, of how to coach academy players and how to coach professionals. But I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been able to do those things had I not have got the experience first. So be confident, be confident, believe in yourself, believe in your ideas, but also be humble enough to learn and get experience, learn from others and don't start too big. Start small and work your way up um, is definitely the, the advice I would give. Fantastic. And um, Harry, where, where can people check out Round, round, uh, round World? Where are they based? Do they have a website? Where can people find out more information? Yeah, so um, Round World website is actually currently under works um, in terms of the independent academy, but they're more than welcome to check out the Instagram. Um, I knew I was going to get asked this, so I made sure I had to get it up on my screen. <laughs> so uh, the Instagram of Round World is uh, roundworld underscore FA. So that's the independent academy I was talking about where we help push grassroots players into professional clubs and, and play in international tournaments and games against academies. Uh, if you want to check out the Royals and the, the more established players or the academies and the pros that we work with, that's Royals underscore Round World. Um, and if you have any interest in myself, <laughs> then my Twitter is HP underscore Head Coach. But, you know, they, those those are the platforms where they can reach out. Brilliant. And, and where is Round World based, Harry? Oh, apologies. Yeah, so Round World is um, it's generally based in North London in terms of the group sessions. Um, so we generally do most, at the moment, we're doing our sessions in Barnet Lane, in High Barnet. Um, but we also do one-to-ones in, in Essex and, and et cetera. But generally based in North London, um, we are. We do have actually have a, have a branch, or Richard has a branch. He's opening up in in Miami, in the US. Um, if there's any US listeners, um, so yeah, we, um, yeah. The ambition is to take round world um, outside the UK and across the UK. But at the moment, if you're based in the UK, it's North London. Um, when things are back to normal after Corona, then we generally train at uh, in Southgate at Trent Park and uh, you know Barnet Power League, Mill Hill Power League, so that kind of area. Brilliant. Thank you so much for giving up your time today, uh, Harry, and uh, really appreciate it. It's been a fantastic podcast. Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. No, absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Brilliant. Uh, thank you for listening, guys. Um, of course, please make sure you check out uh, previous episodes as well. Thanks very much for listening. <laughs>